This podcast is produced by The Brand is Female. Tatsune, hello, and welcome back to the Matriarch Movement Podcast. I'm your host, Shayla Olette Stonechild, and I'm very excited and humbled to be here with each and every one of you. I can't believe it's 2022 already. I feel like it has been a lifetime in this pandemic. However, we are moving into a new timeline and into a new era of Indigenous people reclaiming their power, utilizing their gifts, and channeling them from Creator. Someone that I have been inspired by for a few years now, I actually met her on the set of Trickster. Her name is Asia Youngman, and she is an award-winning Cree and Métis director and screenwriter from Vancouver, Canada. Her films have been screened at a variety of festivals across Turtle Island, and she has worked on numerous film and TV projects that have been commissioned by CBC, Bell Media, TBO, PBS, TELUS, History Channel, and Chorus Entertainment. She was also the recipient of the 2021 Directors Guild Canada BC Emerging Greenlight. She was chosen to participate in Amazon Studios' iOS pitch program with the TV series that she is co-creating, and she recently signed a blind television deal with Entertainment One. Asia is dismantling barriers against her despite being an Indigenous woman in an industry that has historically and presently denied us. However, we are here to shift that, and Asia is an example of one that is trailblazing that way. I hope you're inspired by her just as much as I was. Hi, hi. Thank you so much. Have a blessed day, y'all. Tanse, hello, and welcome to the Matriarch Movement Podcast. I'm your host, Shayla Olette Stonechild, and I'm very excited and honored to have Asia Youngman here with me today. Uh, Asia, thanks so much for taking the time. If you just want to introduce yourself to the audience, the traditional territory from where you're from, and a little bit about the work that uh, you're currently doing. Hi, hi. Sure. Tanse Asia Niti Gasson. I'm Cree Metis from Treaty 6 Territory in Alberta. And right now I'm based in Vancouver on the traditional um, traditional unceded and ancestral territories of the Musqueam, Squamish, and Tsleil-Waututh First Nations. Um, I'm a writer and director. I work in documentary, narrative, and television. And I also own a production company called Visceral Village Productions. And how was that transition? I had no idea you're actually from Alberta, and I'm also Korean Métis, so there's some similarities there. How was that transition from moving from Alberta to Vancouver? Well, I've actually never, like, my mom is from Alberta. Um, My mom's mom is from Alberta, and there's sort of, like, it was really interesting growing up for me because there was a lot of disconnect from my culture, um, just because both my parents were adopted, like, they were part of the 60s scoop, and they were adopted by white families, and so okay. just growing up, like, there was just a lot of uncertainty with who their biological parents were. And, like, my mom was able to track down her mom, um, Maggie Belcourt, who lives in Alberta. And so we were able to trace kind of our, you know, ancestry through Maggie. But there's just a lot of uncertainty with, you know, where else we've come from. And, of course, I think just my mom kind of being put up for adoption, like, she just didn't really have the strongest connection with her mom. Um, but, of mm. course, you know, this is all related to, like, intergenerational trauma like my grandmother went to residential schools and Mm. you know was obviously in a place where she didn't feel like she could raise my mom so I think it's been quite a journey just trying to 
go back to those roots, you know, learn a bit more about like my ancestral homelands um, and hopefully kind of build more connections there. Like I would love to kind of go back to Alberta and, and, you know, find those roots again and, and just reconnect with some of our relatives. Um, but of course it's hard being in Vancouver and just being, you know, so far removed from that, as I'm sure you kind mm-hmm. of also felt as well. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like, um, yeah, Vancouver, it's it's beautiful, the land. I feel like I get welcomed in by it, but there is this aspect of like, it's not, I'm, I'm also a guest on the unceded Coast Salish territory. And so I think there is an aspect that's like, yeah, your, your traditional territory often draws you back in no matter how far you may wander. And when did you first move uh, to Vancouver and why, why did you make the move to Vancouver? Uh, well, I grew up in South Surrey, White Rock area. Okay. So I spent pretty much all my childhood, my, my teenage years there. Um, and then I went to university um, on Vancouver Island. And so I was at UVic for four years and then moved back to, you know, the White Rock, South Surrey area and then decided to move to Vancouver just for, you know, pursuing some job opportunities. And so after I graduated university, I worked in Indigenous health um, at the Provincial Health Services Authority. Mm-hmm. And so we worked for an online Indigenous youth wellness program, mm-hmm. which also focused on upstream suicide prevention. And so I really kind of was, I felt like I was really kind of ingrained and in, in just being around other Indigenous folks and just learning more about, you know, our history and just working with youth um, mm-hmm. really was, it was such a gift to, to have that job opportunity and, and to find reconnection through that process of working there. And so mm-hmm. I think that's really what drew me to Vancouver. And I've sort of been here ever since. I had no idea there was, um, is it an Indigenous wellness series or what did you say it was? Indigenous Youth Wellness Program. It was called Kwiswi. Oh, um, so yeah, so they've kind of expanded since. Like it's it's sort. I think oh, okay. their their focus now is just Indigenous youth wellness, um, and they have a few different programs within that sort of broader um, program. Like they have mm-hmm. Ask Danti, which is specifically for young Indigenous girls um, and Indigenous women as well. But they also have Queen Sweet. Oh, awesome. It's good to know that there's those resources and workshops um, and programs accessible to Indigenous youth out there on, in BC. Uh, when when did you start to, so you worked in Indigenous uh, wellness spaces program coordinating. When was the transition for you into like writing and directing? Have you always been drawn to that or was that something that you found later in life? I was always sort of drawn to filmmaking. Um, when I was in high school, I remember for a while I wanted to be an actor um, this was like before university, which is kind of funny to me now. Cause I'm like, so uncomfortable in front of the camera. Um, but the time I was really drawn to, to that. And, and then I think, you know, I was sort of at this point where, you know, my parents were always very supportive in all aspects of what I was doing, but they really wanted me to go to university and, you know, all my best friends are going to university. And I think it was just an opportunity for me to kind of move away and just have, you know, some of my own experiences, um, so I went to UVic for a few years, but I think while I was there, I was always just thinking about film. Mm-hmm. And at the time, there weren't any sort of film programs at UVic. And I think it was just something that was always in the back of my mind. And when I moved back to Vancouver and started working for this Indigenous Youth Wellness Program, mm-hmm. we did a lot of um, video content for our online platform. So I sort of got into filmmaking through that. Like mm. I, I had an amazing um, boss at the time who was just such an inspirational leader. And she was like, I think we were going to this one youth conference in Tofino and she was like, do you want to just document this trip and just do mm. some interviews with some youth? And so as soon as I did that, I just fell in love with it. And I really had a lot of support through that organization to 
just kind of learn through trial and error and teach myself how to film and how to edit. And then eventually I, I just felt like I wanted to really push myself and, and explore a few different, you know, areas of filmmaking. And so I actually got into visual effects um, and I studied at Vancouver Film School for about a year. And then I went and worked at um, a VFX company for about nine months. But at that point, you know, I wasn't really feeling fulfilled. I didn't feel like I was in charge of actually telling, you know, my own stories. I was just kind of contributing to other projects. And so I was really searching to, to find more fulfillment through, you know, the film industry. And so from there, I decided that I wanted to be writing and directing. And so I ended up leaving the VFX industry and, and went into filmmaking in about 2018. And I've been doing it ever since. And I imagine like that transition, oftentimes we see the finished project, but we don't see like the trial and the errors and the lessons and the teachings along that journey. And I know sometimes for Indigenous people and just people in general, um, you know, questioning like, where where do you even begin? Like, where do you even start? And so I guess my question for you is like, what is your why? Like, what is your, I guess, like purpose and foundation that keeps you rooted no matter how many lessons you may learn? Um, I think what really drew me to the creating content and filmmaking was just thinking back to like my own childhood and my own experiences as a youth and just not having that representation. And I think, you know, we're looking at all the different shows and all the different films that are out there right now, but there's just still such a lack in terms of Indigenous stories. And, you know, sure, there are a couple stories here and there, but it doesn't represent, you know, the various kind of cultures and mm -hmm. um, different indigenous people around, you know, Turtle Island. And I think there's so many different experiences that we all have. And, mm -hmm. you know, we can't just assume that we can tell all those stories into one show. And so for me, I think that kind of drive is really just making sure that there are shows that, you know, our youth can watch and feel uplifted and feel empowered by um, and just see themselves represented on screen. So I think you know, there have certainly been times where I've questioned what I've been doing and have been like, oh, do I want to do this? Like, mm -hmm. is there something else I could be doing? Or just kind of getting tired of just the constant, you know, struggles that we face in this industry. But mm -hmm. I think it always comes back to that initial, you know, why am I doing this? And I think that's what's been pushing me along this entire time. Mm hmm. And I know there's, um, there is, uh, you know, there's kind of a shift, we kind of mentioned, you kind of mentioned this already, there's kind of a shift where we're seeing more indigenous representation, but oftentimes, it is in a very limited or pan indigenized lens. And it's usually being told by someone that's non indigenous. And so I guess, what do you hope it starts to shift more within the film and media industry in itself? I think just recognizing that in order to tell authentic Indigenous stories, like we need to have Indigenous representation in all areas of production. Like, you know, mm. you can't just hire one Indigenous person and think that, you know, that's representation or that they can speak on behalf of all Indigenous people. Like we need to see Indigenous people in the writing room, you know, directing, producing um, in different areas of the crew, you know, actors. Um, so I think, you know, I've, I've been seeing a lot of productions and a lot of shows that are really kind of taking on Indigenous stories. But I think, you know, there's still this huge gap and there's still there's so much learning to be had on, on how we should be proceeding um, with mm -hmm. these stories. And I think the best example, recent example would be, you know, Reservation Dogs, because mm -hmm. they had like an all Indigenous writing room. You know, they had all Indigenous directors. They really brought up some emerging Indigenous directors and just took a chance on them and gave them their own episodes 
um, you know, an all indigenous cast. So I think I would love to see more of that. And I think it really comes down to more risk taking in the industry um, mm. and just letting us be in charge of our own stories, right? Like it's that, it's that narrative sovereignty that we're all seeking. Mm-hmm. Well, and I think like it's um, almost like relinquishing like some power and some control and some access to resources and networks too. I think um, a lot of people, they like to talk about decolonization, not knowing that that's also providing, you know, access to things that we have been historically missing throughout our lives. And mm-hmm. I know for artists and directors and writers, um, there's oftentimes where you question yourself, like, am I, what I'm doing in this world, th- th- does it have purpose and does it draw me back to the why? And so, for you before you write something before you direct something is there certain practices or maybe like protocols or routines that you follow to get inspired by um I think so I mean really depends on the project like it's it's always a question of like okay who who is like leading this project um Mm. who else have they hired like am I the only indigenous person on this project Mm. um and just making sure that if my name is attached to something that I do feel proud of it um that I do feel like you know, there's other Indigenous folks who are being involved in this production. Um, and so I think that's always something I'm mindful of when I, you know, take something on. And I think, you know, there's certainly been instances where I've committed to a project and realized that, you know, they didn't have the best intentions. And mm-hmm. I've learned a lot through that, being taken advantage of, being tokenized. Um, and so I think now it's like I've, I've heard some, I've learned some very hard lessons. And I think it's gone to the point where I'm just, I'm hesitant, um, but at the same time, like I, I don't want to lose that trust when I'm kind of coming on a new project. But I, I also am being very mindful of making sure that I protect myself um, when I take these on. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I guess like um, like having a lot of boundaries and a lot of um, mm-hmm. I think for I think also like knowing your values and like are we in alignment with the same values and really coming back to like kinship and coming back to like true connection. I think is. It, like indigenous people um, are also, we're also based within our community. And I think like, how can we bring this back into like working with non-indigenous people too? Like at the mm-hmm. end of the day, I feel like if you're working on production, you do have to be supportive of one another and you do have to be in direct kinship and relation with one another. And I know you've worked on several different projects. Um, and I'm curious, like what for you has been uh, one of the, I don't know, like for you, what maybe what was the most uh, highlights of your career, one of the biggest highlights of your career so far, and maybe one of the biggest challenges for you so far? Um, hmm, that's a good question. Um, I guess biggest highlight, I mean, there's been there's been quite a few. I guess in mm-hmm. recently, like I, I did a short film this past summer, um, and I got to work with Gawandio uh, Tarbell. Um, mm-hmm. who's just amazing young indigenous actor. And I think, you know, that specific film was really inspired by my own kind of childhood, you know, mm-hmm. just kind of having a bit of disconnect, um, just being the only indigenous girl, like in my school growing up, um, mm-hmm. especially just being kind of in these very, like when I was living in White Rock, like it was a very white, you know, community. Um, yeah. So it was, it was challenging, you know, being the only Indigenous girl at my school throughout, like, elementary school, high school. Um, and so I think just kind of doing a story that was so personal um, and just working with some amazing, you know, Indigenous artists was really, really a proud moment for me. 
Um, mm-hmm. And it's something that I'm really excited to share with people when the film is done. But, mm-hmm. you know, there's been, a, there's been a lot of different moments. I think one of my first kind of moments of realizing that this was what I was meant to be doing was when I premiered my first film at Imaginative. Mm-hmm. Um, and just being able to like surround myself with all these amazing Indigenous artists, it just felt like home to me. And mm-hmm. was kind of like, okay, this is like what I'm meant to be doing. This is where I'm meant to be. Um, so I think that moment, just kind of realizing like, that I've sort of found what I was looking for for so long was really a special, special moment in my career. And feeling, yeah, feeling, I think feeling connected to one another. And that's Mm -hmm. what I love about um, storytelling. And that's what I love about indigenous storytelling is like, we don't necessarily have to explain to one another what we're going through. Cause on a subliminal level, we all understand at the end of the Mm -hmm. day. And I feel like, yeah, I feel like movies and film and TV, they they bring that sense, but it's like there's also a sense that's lacking our voices and the original like caretakers of the land. And there's a real lack of, you know, of seeing Indigenous representation, not only within film, but within the like um, leadership positions, I guess you could say. Mm-hmm. And so I guess like for me, I would love to see more Indigenous inclusion within, like you're saying, the writing room and the producing and the directing and the higher ups. And so do you feel like non-Indigenous people um are supporting the best way or like what would your advice be for non-indigenous people to support indigenous stories in film and tv um, i know <laughs> <laughs> i'm like that's a big question uh, and <laughs> it's a big, it's a big question um you know i think i'd like to think that people have good intentions but i think mm-hmm. you know i think there needs to be a lot of work done to get to that point mm-hmm. um mm-hmm. like for myself, like, I, I think there's just really this lack of risk taking, which I kind of mentioned in terms of like right. creating content, but also just with hiring emerging, you know, indigenous directors, mm-hmm. um, it seems like no one really wants to take a chance on us. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think there's a lot of, you know, the sort of this performative kind of allyship. And I think people are like, oh, like you can come shadow, um, mm-hmm. but there's you know, no intention of actually hiring us on future episodes. And it sort of just, I think makes them feel better. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Um, and I think too, it's like, and not to say that there isn't anything beneficial from shadowing, cause I've certainly learned so much being on set, but you know, if you are hiring people to shadow, like, you know, there should be this kind of goal to get them to direct their own episode. Um, mm. and if you're having them on set shadowing, like make sure that you're paying them for that time that they, you know, they're on set. Um, because it is time that they're taking out of their days that they're taking out of creating their own content. Um, so I think there just needs to be more work done and I think from what we've seen in terms of having more Indigenous writers having more Indigenous directors really comes from like a top down right like if you have an Indigenous showrunner um, there is a huge difference in terms of who's getting hired Um, Mm -hmm. but I just feel like I've seen a lot of examples of of, you know recently and in the past as well is just like people taking on these Indigenous stories they're hiring people um they're using their names when they're kind of marketing and saying oh we involved so and so but mm-hmm. you know that person wasn't necessarily there or really that involved um so there is like i think there is a lot of exploitation still happening um mm-hmm. which is certainly frustrating to see um so i think there could be a lot more meaningful collaboration that needs to be mm-hmm. had and, and you brought up mentorship and I, I often think of like mentorship, but like in a long-term way, like not checking the box and uh-huh. like, and, and actually being, yeah, actually like 
I, I'm always thinking the the longevity of something and like, it's not going to happen overnight. And I think people really want stuff to just happen overnight. And it's like, well, it's taken us how long to get to this point. It's going to take us this much more to heal and also have access to the stuff that has historically left us out. Like, I think mm-hmm. that's a big thing that's missing too, is I was just talking to um, uh, Jacqueline Jennings and she was saying, not even having access to the resources that non-Indigenous people have has really, we've been left out of the economy, whether it's in film or media or TV or, you know, a whole nother business itself. We have been historically left out. And so Mm -hmm. how can we create more access to these resources, not only for ourselves, but for the next generation? And so I often think, you know, how can we support the next uh, future generation of indigenous entrepreneurs and content creators and filmmakers, what would your advice be for the younger generation if they're wanting to get more involved within this industry? Um, I think just, I just hope that, you know, younger indigenous people know that they can do anything Mm -hmm. um, that they set their minds to, as long as they're willing to do the work. Um, like getting to my point in my career certainly hasn't been easy. And, you know, there's been so many hurdles and I'm still kind of experiencing hurdles. Um, Mm -hmm. But I think if you really have a passion for something, you know, work hard at it, you know, surround yourself with people who support you, you can achieve anything you want to achieve. Mm. And then I guess my other question I often ask is uh, when you are feeling overwhelmed or lethargic or burnt out, what are tools and rituals and practices that you implement in your life to bring you back into your power and back into your wholeness? Um, I think I really kind of find a bit of, like if I'm feeling a bit low, um, I like to just listen to music. Mm -hmm. I've also been teaching myself how to play the drums. Oh, sweet. Um, yeah, so I've really been enjoying that. I just feel like it's a bit of a release. Um, and it's also just fun to play. And then I also bought a Peloton earlier this year. So oh, I've been kind of <laughs> using that. If I'm just like really stressed out, I'll just like hop on the bike and, you know, kind of sweat it out a bit. But yeah, it's, it sort of depends. Like, I mean, there's there's so many moments where sometimes you just need to like chat with someone, like chat with a friend, chat mm-hmm. with a family member. So I'll just call someone up if I'm feeling low or just doubting myself or just need a bit of, you know, positivity. I'll just kind of call a friend and, and have some support in that sense. Mm-hmm. And do you feel like there is um, a lot of support for Indigenous filmmakers within Vancouver itself? I think so. I, mm-hmm. I feel like there's a really great film community in Vancouver. And I mm-hmm. think, you know, there's a lot of um, even non-Indigenous people who are, doing a lot of great things to support indigenous filmmakers. Mm-hmm. Um, there are like, although I kind of talk about a lot of the challenges, I think there are a lot of great allies as well. Mm. Um, so I think that's important to recognize because, you know, sometimes we need, we need that extra support once in a while. And um, I do feel like the community here is, is quite respectful and, and quite um, supportive of indigenous filmmakers. Mm. And I know th- throughout this conversation, we've talked a lot about community and there's this concept of matriarchy. And like we have mentioned that no Indigenous person can speak for all of us. And so I'm curious to know through your own lens and through your own, I guess, words and definition, when you think of matriarchy, what do you think of? Um, when I think of a matriarch, you know, I think of someone who like a very powerful, inspiring female identifying leader, um, someone who uplifts others and shares their knowledge and teachings with those around them. Mm, And are there current uh, matriarchs that you are inspired by? Um, 
I think there's a lot of people in the industry, certainly, but I think just kind of thinking of the first person top of my head is my mom um, and just seeing how she kind of came to Vancouver, you know, mm. basically with nothing. Like she left her home community to come to Vancouver and just kind of start fresh and just build a life for herself. And she's done so much just to, you know, be an incredible provider for me and my brother and just created so many opportunities that, you know, we were able to experience as, as young people that she never got to experience when she was young. So I think, you know, she's always someone that I look up to. Mm, yeah, usually our mothers are like the first ones that are always uh, mm-hmm. being brought up. Um, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And like moving forward, I guess for you and your work, um, what what is on the horizon for you? What do you hope uh, for within your own for- future and within your own um, storytelling and within your own writing and directing? What are stories that you yourself want to be want to be sharing with the world? There's so many. Um, I feel like right now, like I'm developing a television show just about this group of urban indigenous women just navigating, you know, their careers, relationships um, in the city of Vancouver. Um, And I think we haven't really seen a show like that. Um, Mm. You know, something that's not necessarily sex in the city, but something kind of in that vein, right. Where it's just like this group of friends and it's celebrating sisterhood. Um, So that's something I've been working on that I'm really excited about. Um, And then I'm also trying to adapt a novel about an indigenous girl growing up in this suburban town and, and just kind of, you know, going through high school and the trials and tribulations of what it is to be, you know, an indigenous uh, woman kind of growing up in this community. um, Sort of, I feel like it's very similar to kind of my own experiences of growing up um, and just kind of tackling so many different topics that haven't been told. Mm -hmm. Um, So I think there's some that are like, directly kind of inspired from my own childhood, but then also pulling from experiences that I've experienced as a, you know, urban indigenous woman and things that I think a lot of us have also experienced and have just kind of gotten frustrated with. And Mm -hmm. so I've actually created this list of like, just like things that have happened to me that I'm like, okay, I'm going to pull inspiration from (laughs) this event and this event and pull it into a show. Um, So I think that's right now, that's sort of my focus is, is really just hopefully, you know, being in control of some of these these shows that I'm developing and making sure that I'm, you know, bringing up other emerging, you know, indigenous directors and writers and, and making sure that there is ownership over these stories as well. Like that's something that's been a quite a push is, is trying to make sure that, you know, if I am kind of taking on a project to make sure that I do have ownership and control over it, because Mm. that seems to be a big hurdle. And I think a lot of the times when you bring a project to someone, they're like, oh, but like, you're not that experienced. So we'd want to bring in this person, but it's like, no, you can't have a non-Indigenous person leading Mm -hmm. this project because it's not going to be authentic, you know? Um, So I think when it's stories that are just so personal, you know, there is a lot of kind of um, concerns, I think, that come up when when you do want to take that next push. And Mm -hmm. I just think navigating the industry in general is this can be quite difficult at times. Mm-hmm. Well, and cause there's, um, I feel like there's a lack, like there's a lack of mentorship really. Like if you haven't seen yourself in that role before, you sometimes don't know what exists for you. And I feel mm-hmm. like in storytelling, um, I feel like sometimes too within production and within these shows, uh, it's not necessarily like safe for an indigenous person. It's not necessarily, you don't, 
you don't feel safe sometimes. Like mm-hmm. it's like this, this place isn't um, meant for me. I feel like sometimes that can be a subconscious uh, thing going on set. And honestly, for me, when I was younger, that's one of the reasons why I left acting industry is because a lot of the times I, I didn't feel safe. And so mm-hmm. I like that you mentioned that you are also thinking about being an actor, but now that you've transitioned to the writing and the <laughs> yeah. producing and the directing size, cause like hopefully in those positions, you have more control over the stories and what's being shared mm-hmm. and told. Um, so yeah, I have, Absolutely. yeah, yeah. And I also realize, you know, as an actor, writer, director, producer, there are different um, processes that we go through when we are wanting to share that story. And so you already mentioned that you pick up things that you experience yourself, uh, but are there other places that you draw inspiration and wisdom from for what you're creating in the world? Um. I think so. Definitely like pulling from just things within like my own family, Um, maybe something that I've seen or read about or or just kind Mm -hmm. of, I think I get inspiration from just being out and about on the daily and just Mm -hmm. seeing things and, Mm -hmm. or just reading things or hearing things like it can come from music. Um, I feel like there's so many different areas to get inspiration from. Mm -hmm. And also too, I think just seeing all the other work that, you know, indigenous artists are doing is just really inspiring and, um, I think we're, it's a really beautiful time to kind of be a storyteller because there is a shift that's happening. And of course, there's still lots of work that needs to be done. But I think, you know, it's an exciting time. And I think hopefully that the work that we're doing now will really pave the way for the next generation so that they don't have to deal with as much, you know, of the the hardships that we that we're dealing with right now. Yeah, yeah. Well, I think even just having uh, this conversation and letting other people know that there is a lot of challenges that are happening, and it's normal to feel uh, burnt out or maybe to feel like overwhelmed at times. But there is also this concept of uh, having hope for the future and the next generations and of indigenous futurism. And so, through your own lens, what do you hope for for indigenous futurism? Um. I think, I mean, the thing about Indigenous futurism that is exciting is that it's really just this transformation of our own narrative and, and just taking control of our own narrative. And it's, you know, it's narrative sovereignty. It's showing that we're still here. It's showing our future and what that could look like and what we are capable of. And I think mm-hmm. that's so important for the next generation to see that, whether it's, you know, in film, television, whether Mm -hmm. it's through a graphic novel, like there's so many different avenues that we can explore indigenous futurism. Um, So I think it's just important that it's, it's ingrained in in all different areas of of Mm -hmm. what we see on the daily and, um, and just showing that we have so much potential to really Mm -hmm. kind of take control and ownership um, and change the narrative that we've been seeing for so long, which really is kind of, you know, not an accurate depiction of who we are as indigenous people. Mm-hmm. Well, and I think you're one of the driving forces that is paving that way. And I know a lot of listeners uh, will want to support your work and probably watch your work. And so where can people uh, support your work and find you? Uh, I think the best way to find my work is through my website, which is www.asiayoungman.com. Um, and I try to update it when I can and, and post links to some of my work. So I think that would be the best way or maybe through social media, which I'm not as active on as I should be, but it's there. People (laughs) check it out. It's sweet. 
Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Asia, for taking this time to share a little bit about your journey. And I look forward to seeing all your films come out. That sounds awesome. Like the Indigenous uh, Woman Sex in the City. I'm going to be waiting for that one. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks, Shayla. Thank you for having me and chatting. I hope you enjoyed today's episode and I would love your feedback. Follow me on Instagram at Shayla0H at matriarch.movement. And don't forget to subscribe on the pod platform of your choice and review and rate where possible. Hi, hi. Thank you so much for tuning in. Thank you so much for listening to a podcast by The Brand is Female. I'm Ava Hartling, and this episode was produced by our team. Sound engineering by Isabel Morris. Research and production support, Claire Miglionico. Marketing and digital growth, Kayla Gillis. And partnerships, Natalie Hope.